pardon me, and we'll pick up with uh, verse 15 in Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a, him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And then over to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 11. <clears throat> Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we, are, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we were once, regard, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Can't forget about 20 years ago, I was at a conference in the United States and uh, I met a guy from uh, the United Kingdom. 
and uh, he had just completed his doctorate and I was in the midst of working on my doctorate and we were talking about that and he looked at me and he said, is your doctorate a taught doctorate? I thought, taught doctorate, is it tight? You know, what is he talking about? And I'm like, huh? Is it a taught doctorate? Huh? Do you have classes and things like that? Well, yeah, I do. Oh, well, well you know, mine is just a pure research degree. <laughs> Uh, and actually, he said it with just about that kind of, well, he, he said it completely with that kind of attitude. Uh, I'm not really over-egging it a whole much. But you know what I felt immediately there? I felt shame. I felt shame. You know, he had actively shamed me. And, uh, and it's something that I know quite well. I grew up in a shame-based family, in a shame-based environment, so I understand that quite a bit. But it's only been in, in the last few years, really, that I have become alert to how deep an issue shame actually is. Uh, many of you might have heard the name Brene Brown. Uh, she's a professor at... Uh, um, a, a school in Texas, and she has done a couple of TED Talks on, on this issue of shame, and they have been two of the most watched TED Talks uh, in the history of TED, because everybody wants to know about this. Everybody, it, it, there, there's this issue that has come up, and people have begun to realize that shame is a significant issue. It's not just an issue for certain cultures in the world that we might refer to as shame-based cultures, but actually shame is a major issue in the lives of people. And sadly, also in the life of the church. Because many churches, instead of liberating people from shame, they almost seek to control people by the use of shame. And so this is a major, major issue. It's an issue in the, in the, uh, the psychology profession. Uh, many psychologists consider this the single biggest issue in our humanity. However, the problem that I have discovered more and more as I've read different literature, and, and by the way, I, I've just dipped my toe into this, uh, the literature on shame is quite vast, but as I've dipped my toe in it, as I've listened to people, both Christians and non-Christians, talking about shame, more and more I've realized that the best that many can offer is how do we cope with shame? How do we you know, deal with it on a day-to-day -day basis knowing that it's going to be or accepting that it's going to be an ongoing reality in our lives so that the best we can hope for is simply somehow to cope it, cope with it. And as I've looked at this and as I've considered this, I have become, come to realize that really and truly I believe only Christianity has an answer for shame. Not a coping answer for shame, but an answer that will allow people actually to overcome the power of shame in their lives in order that they might live in freedom from shame. And so these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this big issue. I'm not, obviously, I'm not going to give you everything, every sermon. Each sermon is going to be like peeling an onion. 
We're going to take a little bit off here and there, this whole issue of shame, until hopefully, as we peel this onion, eventually we'll take off the last, the, the last little layer and see the power of God working in us to set many of us, if not all of us, free from the power of shame. Now, shame is a reality, and it will continue to be a reality because we live in a broken world, and you'll discover why that is. But I believe that as Christians, we can have the power of shame broken over our lives so that we can live in a way that overcomes shame, not just copes with shame, that transcends shame, not just accepts it, as a part of our life that we simply have to live with and tolerate, but we can learn how God has designed us to be people who live without shame. Now, what is shame? I want to give you my, my definition. I've looked around. I've looked at the Greek words that we translate as shame. So when you read this in the Bible and you find the word shame in the Bible, I've looked at the Greek words there, I've looked at some psychology definitions, and in fine rod fashion, I've come up with my own definition. Uh, so I always like to do that. And so here's my definition, and I'll give it to you many times uh, over the next few weeks so you'll, you'll get it and understand it. But shame is the painful sensation that you, this you in your very self, your very identity, the very, the painful sensation that you uh, are or appear to be ugly, disgraceful, unacceptable, damaged, flawed, or inadequate, arising from something you have done or that has been done to you that reveals an inherent or perceived defect in you as a person. So let me read that again. The painful sensation that you and your very self and identity are or appear to be ugly, disgraceful, unacceptable, damaged, flawed, or inadequate, arising from something you have done or that has been done to you that reveals an inherent or perceived defect in you as a person. In shame, we feel that we have been exposed as being fundamentally flawed or ugly. We feel like we've suddenly been exposed, that something is wrong with us. Not that we've done something wrong, but that something is fundamentally wrong in us and with us. And that's that power of shame. Now, shame arises from what we have done or what has been done to us or what others connected to us have done or has been done to them, which then reflects on who we are or who we perceive ourselves to be in our very self and identity, both individually and corporately. So there's an individual dynamic of shame, and there's also a corporate dynamic of shame. There's a dynamic of shame that arises from what we have done, and there's a dynamic of shame that can arise from what others have done to us, or there's a dynamic of shame that can even arise from what happens to those who are close to us. I remember when uh, my, uh, my oldest niece started living together uh, with her boyfriend, uh, they now have a child. They've never gotten married. They still live together. And I remember when she put that up on Facebook, I remember the response of my mom. Now remember, I was raised in a shame-based 
uh, family system. And my mom at the time was more upset that my sister had put this on Facebook than she was that my, or that my niece had put this on Facebook than she was that my niece had actually done, had moved in with her, with her boyfriend. Now, mom didn't think that it was okay, but the fact that it happened, that it was public knowledge now, made her feel shame. That's an interesting dynamic that happens. Now, shame is, according to some research, the most common painful emotion that we experience. And shame is always a painful emotion. It is the most common painful emotion that human beings globally experience. This is a, a cross-cultural thing. It's a cross-cultural thing. However, shame is also probably the most disguised or hidden emotion as well. We go to great lengths to disguise or hide shame the fact that we feel shame, the fact that we experience shame. But it is fundamental to our existence and people will control us by shame. Uh, we control other people by shame. It's really extraordinary the power of this broken emotion, this painful emotion in the lives of human beings. And I believe the good news is God did not design us to live this way. Do you understand that? The text is very clear. And so to begin with, to understand uh, this whole issue of shame and whether or not we can overcome it, whether or not we can transcend it and live so that the gravity of its power doesn't pull us in, in order to do that, we first need to understand how God created us and how we are recreated in Jesus Christ. And so let's look at the Genesis story because it tells us how God created us without shame. And there were three characteristics that we see in the Genesis account that are related to this whole issue of shame. And these, these are ways that God created us. First, God created us with an open and unhindered relationship with our Creator out of which flowed our provision for life. Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden, they had an open and unhindered hindered relationship with their God, with their creator. They were completely open. There was nothing hidden. They knew that God knew everything about them. And they enjoyed their life. And in this open, unhindered relationship with God, they felt no shame. They felt no shame. Then secondly, God created human beings with a purpose. God created Adam and Eve with a purpose. And we learn that in the, in the first chapter of Genesis that we didn't read, uh, when it says, it talks about how God created all humanity. What does he say to humanity? He says this, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. That was the purpose of humanity, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, and subdue it. Be fruitful is to engage in fruitful work, multiply, well, 
those of you get it, you know, a man and a woman, they come together. I don't think I need to tell you about the birds and the bees, right? Uh, you know, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. They were to expand the garden and subdue it. That was their mission. By the way, what is the mission? What is the purpose of the church? Our purpose together as the church is exactly the same. To be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. That's what God's called us to as Christians, together. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. But God also, in chapter 2, it gets more specific to Adam. And so it talks about how God placed Adam in the garden and told Adam to tend the garden. So in addition to this global kind of mission, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, God put Adam in the garden and said, okay, Adam, now tend the garden. And so Adam took care of the garden. He could eat of any of the trees that he wanted to, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He ate of the tree of life, and the tree of life is what sustained him. You know, Adam would not have lived forever had it not been for the tree of life. So he's eating the tree of life. That tree was sustaining him. He was taking care of the garden, and he got to name the animals. You know, so Adam had a purpose. And because of that, there was no shame. Because Adam lived in his purpose. If God had created two men, he wouldn't have created them both and said, okay, uh, your purpose is better than your purpose. That's not what God did. God created Adam with a purpose. God created Eve with a purpose. One was not better than the other. Adam was not better than Eve because he was created first. Eve was not better than Adam. You know, that's the whole thing, you know, that uh, you know, God didn't get it right the first time, so he created Eve. You know, it wasn't that kind of dynamic. You know, they were created with a purpose. So Adam and Eve were created with an unhindered relationship with God, their creator. Adam and Eve were given a purpose for their lives. And thirdly, Adam and Eve lived with each other in relationship, were naked, and were not ashamed. Now this meant that Adam and Eve, actually, yeah, they didn't wear clothes, that meant the garden had to be reasonably warm. And, uh, you know, I, 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 could, I could tell you stories about that, but I, I probably shouldn't. I was just thinking about the story of the Isle of Sheppey when we stumbled on a group of nudists playing volleyball. Uh, it, it, you know, it was, it was not a pretty sight because uh, I was like the smallest guy and, and they're jumping and it was just not good. You know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a bit, it made you feel a bit ashamed. And so you just kind of hold your eyes down and you go the other way. And the cool thing was, Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. You know, it wasn't this kind of thing where Adam was saying, hey Eve, look at that, are you getting a little bulge there? You have too many bananas lately? You know, it wasn't Eve saying, you know Adam, couldn't you be a little bit taller? Uh, there wasn't any kind of that. And not only was it physically that was the case, but it also was the same emotionally and spiritually. They were relating to one another without shame. They would have had different kinds of emotions. They would have had joy. They may have had frustration. If you're tending a garden, anybody who's tended a garden knows that it's work. That's why I don't do it. I let Karen do it. It's too much work. And it was work with Adam and Eve. They had to do the work there. But they did all of this, and they were unashamed. 
And that is how God designed our life. He has designed us as human beings to have an unhindered relationship with himself. He's designed us as human beings to have a sense of purpose in our lives, and our purposes will be different. He's designed us as human beings also to have open relationships with with one another where shame is not a driving factor. That's how God created us. That is our original design. We were not designed to feel shame. We were designed for life. But obviously we know what happened, and I'm going to talk more deeply about what happened next Sunday. We'll look at the fall, but we know Adam and Eve messed up. They messed up in the garden. They they had sin come in. And what sin did Sin damaged and disfigured our humanity so that shame became a factor. Sin damaged and disfigured our humanity so that shame became a factor. But that's not how God designed us. That's not how God created us. And that's not, thank God, how God left us. That's not how God left us. Jesus came to free us from shame. So how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus recreate us so that we can live without shame? And that's what Jesus did. Jesus recreated us so that we can live without shame. How did he do that? First of all, he took on our flesh and united himself with our humanity. Jesus became a human being just like us. He was like us in every single way except without sin. And that means that Jesus never experienced the shame of his own sin. That doesn't mean that Jesus never experienced shame, as we'll see in a few weeks. But Jesus united himself fully in our humanity. He took on our flesh, and he became like us in every way except without sin. And as that, Jesus lived his life on this shame-filled planet as God designed us to live our lives without shame. Jesus lived his life on this planet as God designed us to live our lives on this planet without shame. He lived with an open relationship with his Father in complete obedience. That's what the text says. Jesus was completely open with the Father. The Father revealed everything to Jesus. Jesus encountered everything that the Father wanted him to encounter. Jesus did everything that the Father wanted him to do, said the things the Father wanted him to say, not as a robot, not as an automaton. He did it in freedom, in a free, unhindered relationship with his Father. He did that. That's the first thing. Jesus, secondly... He lived his life toward the fulfillment of his purpose. All of his life was lived toward the fulfillment of his purpose, which was to die on the cross and rise from the dead. And every bit of his life was lived toward the fulfillment of that purpose. 
One of the greatest temptations that Jesus faced was there right at the beginning, remember where Satan took him on the mountain, and he said, hey Jesus, all of this I will give to you if you'll just worship me. What was Satan doing there? He was tempting Jesus to fulfill his purpose in a different way than what his father intended. But his entire life was oriented toward the purpose to which his father had called him and for which his father had sent him. So he is in unhindered relationship with the father. He lived his life toward the fulfillment of that purpose and he lived openly before all people. Jesus was completely open. He lived openly before all people. There was nothing about Jesus that was hidden. People saw him. That was one of the reasons why he had the disciples traveling with him. People could see him. It's one of the reasons why I love it when we have people stay with us and live with us for a season. You know, we're, we're, we're disturbing Ashe these days as you know, she's been hanging out with us. Because you know, I want them to see who I am at home and know that you know, the guy you see at home is the same guy you see standing up here on a Sunday. Uh, but Jesus did that perfectly. I don't do that perfectly. Jesus did that perfectly. He had nothing to hide. He lived openly before all people. And notice what he did. He covered the shame of those who were humble, but exposed the shame of the proud. He covered the shame of the humble. Why were the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the drunkards and the broken people coming to Jesus? It was because he was not exposing their shame. He would cover their shame with his love, not expose it. And that's how he lived with all people. And in doing that, he not only fulfilled his purpose, but he demonstrated to us how we are to live. And so then, in his cross, in his empty tomb, and we're going to see more how this, how this happened, what Jesus did, but in the cross and the empty tomb, through faith in him, by his grace through faith, Jesus unites us with himself in his divinity, in union with him, so that we can live as new creations in Christ. That's what Paul says. If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. So what that means is, when we have faith in Jesus Christ and what he did in his cross in the empty tomb, when we come to him by God's grace, through faith, Jesus takes us and enfolds us and covers us with himself so that we are now in Christ and we are now recreated in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, we are new people. We are new creations. And you notice what the text says, the old has gone. The new has come. Notice that's in the past tense. And the force of the language there is something that has occurred in the past that continues to have an impact in the present and into the future. This is what Jesus has done for us. He's united us with himself by grace through faith so that we live as new creations. We live as new creations. And how do we do this? How do we live as these new creations? What's the reality? What does Jesus restore to us? First of all, 
we can live openly before our Father in heaven covered by Jesus. You know, Jesus never says to the Father, hey, look at that person. You see that weakness there? Oh man, did you see him that make that sin? Oh, that sin is terrible. Jesus never does that because we're covered with Christ. So we live openly before our Father in heaven. Do you know, think about the most shameful thing that you've done in the last seven days. Now stand up and tell everybody. No, I'm kidding. Think about the most shameful thing you've done in the last seven days. Do you think that God doesn't know? He does. Do you think that God didn't know that you were going to do that when he saved you? He did. And do you think that God didn't know that you would do that before the creation of the world and still he sent his son to die for you? He did. We live openly before our Father in heaven. There's no shame before our Father. And there's no shame for, for Jesus. He knows our weakness. And Jesus gives us that. Without Jesus, there is nothing but shame. With Jesus, we are clothed in his righteousness, so we have no shame. When Satan makes you think that you're shameful, that is a lie. It is not the reality that you are. Isn't that amazing? But secondly, that's not just it. Secondly, we have a purpose. And this is a big issue. You know, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? I'll tell you this. Uh, and and I, you can, there's a lot of things that you could say, but let me use a parallel with uh, uh, Genesis. Your purpose is to tend your garden. To tend your garden with the good works that God has prepared for you to do in advance. Now, your garden is the place that God has placed you at any given time. Uh, it's kind of fun. Karen and I like to go to National Trust properties, and now that she's really gotten into gardening uh, at, at our house, and many of you ladies were there a couple of weeks ago, you saw some of the garden. Uh, she's really gotten into gardening at the house, and so we go to these other gardens. And you know, the temptation for Karen is if she sees something a little out of whack, you know, maybe a weed, it's for her to reach down and pull the weed in these trust properties. But she resists that temptation because it's not her garden, right? And sometimes she, she has this temptation to go and maybe trim off a few of the flowers there along the side. But no, that's my temptation, to trim off some of the flowers and take them home to her and say, see, Karen, what I got for you? Uh, but I don't do that, why? Because it's not my garden. It's not my garden. We are all called to tend our garden. And God has put you where he has put you to tend the garden that you have. You know, I, I've, known, I've known women before you know, who, who have been, had a career and things like that. But the kids come along and they say, you know what I want to do right now is I want to tend these children. And I want to make sure that these children are raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so I'm going to tend the garden that God has given me. 
I'm not going to look for bigger gardens or other gardens all the time. I want to take care of the garden that God has. That is your purpose. Your work is part of your garden. Your family is part of your garden. Now, if you're a, if you're a husband and you're always out gallivanting around doing everything but taking care of your family, you're not tending your garden. You've got to tend your garden. And it's only as you tend your garden that God will expand your garden, by the way. As you tend your garden, God expands your garden, but that's your purpose to tend the garden that God has given you where he's placed you by doing the good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. And if you do other things besides tend your garden, you will have problems. And you'll deal with shame issues. So tend your garden. And then the third thing, how do we live? We live openly before our Father, covered with Christ. We live with purpose by tending the garden that God has placed us in, allowing God to expand it. You know, it's not wrong to want a bigger garden. It's not wrong to want that, but you've got to take care of what God has given you before he'll give you more. So tend your garden, that's your purpose. And third, and this is the challenge, we live openly before others in union with Christ, recognizing that we all come from the same humanity. We live openly before others in union with Christ, recognizing that we all come from the same humanity. One of the most powerful ways that we do this here at City Temple is by using the steps to freedom in Christ. One of the greatest privileges that I have, and I've had over the, the years that I've been here, and actually over about the uh, 28, 29 years that we've been using this, is to sit with a man and have that man tell me the most shameful things out of his life, knowing there's no shame there. There's no shame there. And it's as we live openly before one another. And I share very openly in those settings with the men as well. I don't hold things back. I don't put on the face of, you know, yeah, I'm, real, I'm the real super spiritual Jesus kind of guy. And man, you're, you know, you're a miserable sinner, but I, I would never even think about doing that. No, I mean, one of the reasons, one of the ways I can help most of the men is that many of the sins that they've committed, I've committed. And so we sit together and we share, and Karen does the same. Uh, and, uh, and when we're doing that with one another and we're sharing openly, and honestly, we're living openly before one another. And I have never, in almost 30 years of doing the Steps to Freedom in Christ, I have never had a man walk out of that room feeling more shame. Every single time when it's opened up, the shame is broken and the power of it's removed. And the men begin to walk in some freedom. Now, it doesn't mean that one session takes care of all the issues. It doesn't. But that is a model of how God calls us to live together. We'll see that more in the coming weeks as we learn more and more how to break the power of shame. The important point here is that we are designed to live with a degree of openness with one another, to have an open relationship, knowing that we all come from the same humanity and that we all resist the activity of shaming one another. Because that's one of the greatest sins that we can commit as Christians, is to heap shame on another human being. Jesus didn't do it to us, and we don't do it to others. 
And so because we are recreated, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. We live openly for, before our Father. We live our lives with the purpose of tending our garden and tending our garden without shame. And we live openly before one another knowing that even our deepest sins, even though we're not going to broadcast those, but even our deepest sins we can share with one another in Christ Jesus, knowing that in that sharing, we connect in our humanity and we realize together that we can live without shame. This is how we have been recreated in Christ Jesus. Now, because of the world we live in, shame is always going to be an issue. It's always going to be around us. And we're going to see that. We're going to understand that. And it is always going to attack us. The power of shame is great. But the power of Christ is greater. And I believe, though, that the only hope to overcome shame is a fundamental renovation or transformation of us as human beings, a transformation that can only come through relationship with Jesus Christ. And once we have that relationship, we can learn how to overcome, to live above shame by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. That is our calling. That is our destiny. That is God's purpose for us in Jesus Christ. And in these next few weeks, we are together going to learn how to overcome the power of shame, and we are going to see God do amazing things. Amazing things. But understand this. Right now for you, if you are a Christian, the power of shame is broken. It is broken through Jesus Christ. It is broken. And if you're not a Christian, now's the time. Now's the time to say, Jesus, I don't want this shame anymore. So I surrender my life to you freely and fully. Come unite me with yourself by grace through faith. Forgive my sins. Heal my shame and make me a new creation. And if you pray that kind of prayer, Jesus always responds. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for this truth. Help us to walk in this truth. Help us to experience this truth. Help us to see it broken, shame broken, not only in our lives, but in the lives of many, many others. Now, Father, as we worship you, as we worship you, I pray that you would remind us of the heritage that we have in Jesus. Remind us of who we really are in Jesus Christ. Remind us of your faithfulness and your grace and your glory. And let us draw closer and closer to you in unhindered openness because you love us and because Jesus covers our shame. We pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.